next bit of the series, good for you to be here. Okay, so first of all, I'm a little bit of a fan of fun and humor. I do enjoy a good comedian. I enjoy having a laugh. I feel it helps me uh, in my life's journey, okay? So to have a laugh and to have fun, I feel it does something very physical and uplifting in my life, okay? So I like a bit of fun, okay? And um, with TV personalities or true life situations or stories where something funny has happened, I quite, do, quite like to enjoy those stories as well. But one comedian I went to watch, and he's a bit old school, is a guy called Ken Dodd, okay? He only recently passed away, but proper old school, right? And the reason why I want to talk to him very quickly is that I went to see him in the Grand, okay, a few years ago, and I did find him funny, okay? And um, he says this, one of his uh, catchphrases was, you should always exercise your chuckle muscle, is what he used to say. If not, it'll dry up and drop off, (laughs) which is also quite funny. And he would threaten, he would threaten in his... um, talks to, to talk for five and a half hours, okay? He'd always said, and, and he was actually gauged to do that at one time. In fact, the talk in Denmark apparently went on until 2.30 in the morning, and security at the venue had to take him off the stage. <laughs> Which is quite funny. Anyway, but this week, um, it's been the Edinburgh Fringe Festival going on in Scotland, and this is a very big arts festival, okay? And it's probably one of the biggest in the world. And this year, I'd like to hear what happens in the comedy side of it, and there's always, like, a, a favourite joke, one that's, you know, voted in the best and this kind of stuff, and it, it's, like, from a shortlist of, like, ten different jokes. So this year's winner um, was a guy called Olaf Falafel, I don't know if that's his real name, but he's a Swedish comedian, and he won the, the, with this joke, okay? Now, this could be... It turns out it's slightly controversial, so I'm going to say it, and, and you'll see why in a minute. Okay, so... This is the joke. I keep randomly shouting out broccoli and cauliflower. I think I might have florets. So, okay. Now, some now would find that quite funny. Some won't get it. And some would be offended because it could be taking the mickey out of someone who has Tourette's, okay? Now, I have a friend who has this, and I texted him yesterday to see what he thought of it, and he said, oh, go for it. And, but I haven't said it because of the joke itself. I just wanted to say it because I'm trying to get to a point, okay? Which quite often takes me a long time. <laughs> <coughs> okay, so he then got interviewed by various media people, and he said, this, this is a fantastic honour, but it's like I've always said, jokes about white sugar are rare, jokes about brown sugar, demerara. <laughs> Which I thought was funnier than the original. Okay, for those who don't know, brown sugar, demerara sugar, and it sounds like demerara. <laughs> Clever stuff. Okay, you got it, did you, Kieran? Well done. He's on, he's on media today. No, he's not. He's on sound, thankfully. Right, so... A little bit of controversy with this one-liner. And what happened is the next day, when news got out about the winner, um, a charity group, Tourette's Action, wanted an apology from the organisers and the comedian as well because they felt it was acceptable for the people that they work with. And, of course, you know, it's, it's their lives. They understand people's difficulties, backgrounds, when you have a condition and this kind of stuff. So they have a very sympathetic edge, a sympathetic ear, and they give their lives to, to serving those people. So... I just wanted to put it out there that in life things can be a little bit controversial, can't they? And some people can stand on this side of the fence, and some people can stand on this side of the fence. Some people like to sit on the fence in the middle. Okay, so for this morning I'm sitting on the fence, all right? 
great. But what I want to do is talk now about uh, this kind of next parable that Jesus taught in the series. And to be honest, as I started looking at it and studying it and thinking about it, I thought, oh no, I picked the wrong parable, yeah. <laughs> All right? So, so please bear with me. I'm going to unpack it as what I believe, I, I think it believes, and from the um, people that I've studied, you know, the people who, you know, the experts who, who write about this parable and stuff, and glean in a bit of wisdom from them as well. So, Please go with me on the journey. Please do smile. Please don't walk out and feel upset. Because, you know, it's not going to be that bad. Don't worry. Don't sweat, all right? But I'm going to go for it anyway. Okay. So this particular parable strongly points towards that there are two ways of living life, okay? There's living like in the kingdom of God and, and living godly lives or not. Or we live our lives for God and for what he wants for our lives or not. There is good fruit in our lives and sometimes there is bad fruit as well. And this doesn't give room, really, this parable doesn't give room for any middle ground, right? Or for what I can see in it anyway. And of course, you know, you've got to take the whole context of the whole Bible, okay? So this parable that Jesus taught on is in Matthew 13, and it's the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Now, hopefully people recognize it. It it is one that is fairly um, common and, and, and spoken about. And it follows the parables of the sower and the four types of soils, And again, this one teaches about the kingdom of God. So there's some key themes in here, all right? There's kingdom living, there's fruitfulness, there's the patience and the grace of God. There's a talk about the correct time for judgment and good versus evil, all right? So it's all in there, so we're going to take a look at that. Are you with me so far? All right, brilliant. Okay, and before I look at the parable itself, there was a... There was a little story a few months ago. Here we had some uh, people who visited our premises, the car park in particular. And what happened is I had a call in the office up in Penland that someone had, had broken into our car park here, okay? Um, which, you know, was a bit upsetting. So I then, emergency services, was straight down from Penland to here in like 10 minutes without breaking the, the record. I was for speed, without break, doing any of that. It was all about both. Got here parked my car on the corner, and then came in to address the situation. And um, I got surrounded by some individuals who were um, shouting not nice things towards me, and being a little bit physically threatening, shall I say. Um, When I had a chat with them, they said, well, actually, we're religious, so we should be allowed to be here. Um, And this was on the back of breaking in, threatening me, um, and then wanting me to give them lots of money to leave which is like blackmail. <laughs> so yes, I can laugh now, but the situation was extremely stressful. Very stressful, very discouraging, put a lot of pressure on, but as we know, for, for many of us who are here, know the situation, you know, God was at work in the situation, we were very gracious and kind, and eventually the people who had broken in did leave, and you know, that was all done and dusted. But things like that do get me thinking, is like, you know, when someone like claims, yes, we're religious or we're Christians, but then they're like blackmailing you and threatening you and broken in and you fear for your physical, <laughs> you know, health, it doesn't add up, does it? Okay, so just put that out there before I talk about this. Okay, so the parable of the weeds. Ready? Here we go, the words on that. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds amongst the wheat and went away. 
When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you were pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring them into the barn. And this then gets a little bit further unpacked and explained by Jesus. So it says this, then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parables of the weeds in the field. And he answered with this, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Okay, now then, sounds a little bit heavy, doesn't it? Well, in fact, it is. (laughs) Right then, so I'm now going to prepare to explain some of this without a religious condemning heart because we know and live in a generation and in a time of Jesus' love, grace, and forgiveness. And there is room for everyone who works, lives on this earth to know that love, grace, and forgiveness of Jesus. Okay, so let's have a look at this. The explanation by Jesus sounds quite straightforward, doesn't it? But the implications take a little bit more, perhaps, to, to grasp or to handle. So the pictures Jesus has used at this time would be very clear to a Palestinian audience. So the weeds, or in other translation, the tares, were one of the curses against which a farmer would have to labor. Anyone who has ever done any form of gardening or any form of growing things, you will find that not only does your lovely plants grow with your nice tomatoes and your peppers and your jalapenos and your aubergines, also weeds grow with them, and they're very annoying. Anyway... So this weed at this particular talk here is called bearded darnel or lolium temulentum, okay? And in the very early stages, these weeds resembled wheat and they were impossible to distinguish between the two plants. Roots were intertwined, which would mean that if you were to tear out the weeds, you would also tear out the wheat as well and judging between the two would be very impossible. But the sensible and the wise thing to do would be to allow both to grow together and then sort out what is what. So the tares or the wheat, uh, the weed, sorry, <clears throat> you look at the root word of this and it's a little bit full on, okay? So this word's a little bit full on. Could you please pass me my bottle of water? Thank you very much, Anne. That's lovely. Thank you. You haven't lost anything this morning, have you? Not yet, only three things. That's good. That's short list, that is. <laughs> right, sorry, Sean. Not really. Okay, so the word is full on, all right? So the tares, the Hebrew word is zunin. 
The Greek is zizanion, and zunim is connected to the Hebrew word zana, which means to commit fornication. I know, it is full on, isn't it? Anyway, so Jesus' audience and culture then, you can see why it's so impacting. This parable is so impacting to their lives, okay? Because the weeds are allowed to grow with a good, healthy wheat. So it was commonplace and popular to believe in them times that the tares took their origin in the time preceding the flood. And as we know, when you read the story of Noah, we hear that the world was like under the cosh, like everything was going wrong, you know. Men and animals and, you know, plants, everything was going wrong. It's almost as if everything was going astray. And of course, we hear about the flood and Noah and how the world is like re-kind of started kind of thing. So the, the view is then that the weak, uh, or the, these weeds had gone wrong and they kind of was, you know, like wheat, but they'd gone wrong kind of stuff. So, this is like a fallen kind of situation that we're looking at here. So, the weeds and the wheat. So, the reason why the, the weeds are as they are is because there's like a fallenness and there's something gone really wrong here. But aside from that, there is, there is good as well, there is wheat as well, there is good stuff going on at the same time. So, you can see this balance going on, yeah? And that's why Jesus is trying to help people get their heads around it. So both couldn't be uh, safely separated. And, but at the end, when the fruit comes, then you can see what is happening. Now, this particular weed, this bearded Daniel, it is slightly poisonous. It could, if consumed, it can make you dizzy, sick, or have a narcotic effect, okay? So that's no reason for anyone to go trying it, because it's wrong, all right? So it's not good. Right. So generally bad for your well-being. So what we see here, says the audience is getting this now that, you know, this is not good, right? So it's important to separate carefully. And how would that happen? There was a process, there was a physical process. Hired hands would pick the darnel seeds from the wheat after the separation on the threshing floor of the, of the wheat and the chaff. And then they would spread the grains on large trays and they would like, manually have to be separated. And the process was labor intensive, a serious business, if the, serious consequences if not completed correctly. So this is the kind of thing going on. So therefore we see how bad seed can create painstaking work and it is horrible and spiteful and a dangerous thing to do for the enemy to do that. So a person who would deliberately sow bad seed is really bad news because really the enemy, as we read in this parable, is against God, against everything good God has for people, against that God wants great relationships and great communities and great family and well-being and health and good you know, friendships and all this kind of stuff. But there is an enemy at place who, who doesn't want the good things of God happening. So, we look at it even more. In recent times, even in India, one of the worst threats a man can make to his enemy is this, I will sow bad seed in your field. So, you know, it is a very relevant thing. In Roman law, the cri- this crime was forbidden and punishment was laid out for the perpetrators. So the pictures Jesus uses here would be very familiar to the people of Galilee who heard the parable for the first time. So that's the kind of context of the parable taking place, and it is known as one of the most practical parables that Jesus um, told. So if you look briefly at the meaning, and then we're going to pull out now some practical points, some practical tips, some practical lessons from this talk. So first of all, the main players. Okay, so we've got the good seed is sown by Jesus. The field is the world. The good seed, people of God's kingdom. 
the weeds, people of evil, sown by the sower of evil, Satan, the opposer of God. We've got the harvest, which is the end of the age, the end of all time, and the harvest as the angels, okay? So we've got a bit of a picture going on here that Jesus spoke about, you know, life. He spoke about life, you know, good things in life, bad things in life, and at the end of the day, you know, God knows the score, right? So let's put our minds, let's be settled that God is in control, God is in charge, and that we can trust him for our day-to-day, for our futures, etc., etc. So three lessons from this parable. So first of all, we understand from the parable that there is a hostile power in the world in which we live. It says here in these verses, the field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. Okay, so with the advance of like technology and communication in recent years, we, it's easy to see the evidence out there, isn't it, of, of stuff going on in the world, good and bad, right? And, you know, it's at our fingertips now. Any of us can pull out our phone, go on, you know, some news site and get a flavor of what's going on in the world around us now. And um, we see that there is a, there's a widespread problem um, in different areas in life, different people groups rising up against different people groups. There's a lot of fear in the world. There's judgmentalism and jealousy and a lack of trust and there's leadership issues and there's distorted religion and there's unforgiveness. You know, there's lots of these flavors of stuff going on. So we can see quite clearly, you know, there is some, you know, bad stuff going on. But also, as a, as a believing community in God, you know, isn't it great when we know good things are going on? when there is love, when there is compassion, when there is generosity, when there is kindness, when there is building people up, when there's people being educated, when there's people, you know, knowing the hand of grace in their lives, we know that there is good stuff going on. And that is part of our calling as a people who believe in Jesus to take that with us in our lives. So from these verses here, we see that attention is brought to the fact that there is an evil one and he does have the ability to sow bad things into the earth through people and stuff like that. So, some people are like overtaken perhaps with maybe things of like bitterness or greed or violence and sometimes people can unwittingly like partner with like the evil one, isn't it? So, sometimes we're not like born like people who will do the worst ever things. And uh, I just want to say like, I got like a, a B in history, right? As a, in the GCSE, because GCSE is, you know, it's like that season of getting results. I had history and I enjoyed crime and punishment. And in crime and punishment, you, you hear a little bit about, about that. But I find it very fascinating because I think, especially since becoming a Christian, that I trust God's judgment on things and I trust that when things aren't quite right on earth or things haven't been done properly or, you know, there's misjustice or there's terrible things happened, I kind of, part of the encouragement to me is I know that God is in charge and I know at the end of the day, you know, God, you know, makes things right and that can be a difficult thing to get our heads around, I don't know about you, but it's been interesting. So, for example, I watched a couple of films recently. The Highwaymen is a film on Netflix. It's a, the story about um, Bonnie Parker and Clyde Barrow, okay, Bonnie and Clyde. And in their lives, uh, in the early uh, part of the 19th century, they were like on a crime spree, okay, this boyfriend-girlfriend on a crime spree, robberies, you know, um, armed robbery, violence, you know, shooting people, etc., etc. But for some reason, they like became celebrity status as well. And it was like, oh, 
It was a bit strange when I was watching the film and reading the story. So the story just unpacks how two um, men and, and a group of people, the Texas Rangers, who were actually in retirement, Frank and Marnie, all right, they went out and it unpacked the story of how Bonnie and Clyde were eventually um, caught and, um, you know, they were, they were caught for their actions and they weren't put to justice. They were just basically shot a lot of times, okay? So, but the interesting thing is how someone, because part of it, that the Texas Ranger goes to the dad of, um, of Clyde. And in this like, scene, like, the dad knows that something has to be done because his son had turned. He turned to darkness. He said, he hasn't always been like that. You know, he, he was born a child, just like, a, like an innocent baby. But like, over the course of the years, and it was almost as if like, something within him had been stirred and he was pursuing this life of violence and crime. And the dad recognized that, you know, something has to be done. My son, you know, my own son has, has like, gone like this now. And it was quite a heartbreaking thing. But it's like, there is, like, a transition in life, isn't it? And thankfully, God gives us the grace in our lives to say yes and to say no, to do this or to do that. And we all have this, you know, ability to exercise our own free will in our lives. I saw another film. It was about the life of John Gotti, okay? And this guy, um, as we read, he only died um, in 2000, something like that, 2002. He was a, a boss of the Gambino crime family in New York. And of course, you know, with, with this gang kind of stuff going on, you, you see about, you know, all the dodgy stuff and all the rest of it. And again, it's like, you know, the amount of people like caught up in that situation, caught up into the crime scene and all this kind of stuff, almost like becoming above the law. So you can see there's representations of like bad things going on in the world, which, you know, it's not the right thing. So when we talk about like weeds and, and wheat, you know, we know wheat is good stuff and that the weeds, you know, it's just bad things going on and it's, you know, not good for God's world. So we hopefully got a little bit of a flavor of that, that there is like um, a pressure there is an input from the evil one who does want to distort people and change people into doing bad things and just generally being those who are opposed to God. But thank goodness for the grace of God that his um, love, grace, and acceptance is open for people. And of course we know that because of Jesus, because of the work on the cross that God gave his own son to die for the bad things in the world that we can come to a place of faith that in our imperfect state as people, we become people of the kingdom. And that is by the lovely grace and goodness of God. And that is such a saving grace as well. So any form of like, evil activity that opposes the goodness of God or his kingdom, you know, we know that there is a message of salvation through grace that we can take note of and know in our lives, know that Jesus sows good things in our lives. So the first thing to learn about then this morning is this, that our first lesson is to be on guard, not on edge in our lives, but on guard, that we can recognize the stuff that goes on in our day-to-day lives, in the things around us as well, and also that we can be, you know, no positivity and the reassurance of God in our, in, our, in our lives as well. So in Mark 13, Jesus says, be on your guard and be alert, you know, talking about the coming of Jesus again. So as a people, lesson number one, be on guard, be alert in our lives, don't feel threatened or anything, not on edge, but being on guard is like a different thing. All right, so that's the first one. Second one, 
the parable teaches us to be discerning and diligent by distinguishing those who are opposed to God's kingdom and those who belong and edify God's kingdom. So it says this, the son of man will send out his angels and they will read out the kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do um, evil. Okay, can you see what I mean about it? It's a bit heavy. Is it coming across as heavy at the moment? Good? Yeah? Already you're on the party? Not quite. Anyway. So our commitment and our calling by Jesus is to be witnesses. To see Jesus rescuing and saving people in their lives. So that is part of like the job function of being church, of being Christians. Because we've been receivers, so it's good then to go out and be the givers that allow people to see and know the story, who Jesus is, and be good news in our world. Good news, so that's great. But looking at this here, we can see that a person might appear to be and do good, but maybe in fact have a bad motive, and sometimes it takes a little bit of time for that to come out in people's lives, a little bit like the weeds and the wheat. And maybe a person who initially appears bad may yet be good. So it's to discern kingdom values in people's lives, discerning fruit of people's lives, following the ways of Christ. Is the person a forgiver, has faith in Jesus, is fair, is full of the fruit of the Spirit, is someone who has love and has joy and has peace and has forbearance and has kindness and has goodness and has faithfulness and you know, recognizes the signs of the kingdom. Now, nobody is perfect. Hands up, even off perfect. I'm the first person to put my hand up. We understand that brokenness and sin in general and mishaps and difficulties and disappointments and struggles with sin and all this kind of stuff. But thank goodness we have God who brings forgiveness and help in our building, in our lives. And that is fantastic. And we're so grateful for that. But in our lives, we're called to be discerning people as well, to be wise, to recognize the strategies of the enemy when he is raising up people who you know, are doing bad things. You know, maybe a little bit of time for it to come out in the open, but it's like recognizing what, you know, God is at work in their lives and holding on to that and always being a discerning person, okay? But also carrying a level of grace as well in all of that. So if I was to illustrate this, there is no person I can think of that represents evil like, have a little think for a moment, For me, if I was to measure that, I would say Adolf Hitler um, is is the, you know, embodies evil in my my kind of thinking. So, and of course, then the Nazi regime, because it was one person, but then it was like, you know, it grew and grew and grew. So there was the hatred of the undesirable people, the persecution of Jewish people, the death of millions of human beings, and that not just affected the people living at the time, but it affects us now in this day and age where our predecessors and fathers and families all had the impact of world war. And of course, that, you know, that filters in through the generations over time. So, so we have that as an example to you know, look at and think, well, how did that all start? And, and how, where did it develop? And what was the fruit of that situation and the fruit of that person's life? And then there is someone who um, I was reading about as well who really respect is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who we know was, um, came to the end of his life as a 39-year-old. He was a pastor, a German pastor, a theologian. And the key thing with him, he was a anti-Nazi person, so he was in a very tricky situation. He was a man of God, a gracious man of God, but he could see his nation were going All right, and he was a well-educated man, and he had the opportunity to, do, to go to America in 1939 to, to, to teach and get in the education system, and he did go over 
um, before the outbreak of the war. But then God was at work in his heart. And this is a quote that that he wrote in his uh, journals. I've come to the conclusion that I've made a mistake in coming to America. I must live through this difficult period in our national history with the people of Germany. I will have, have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war. If I do not share the trials of this time with my people, Christians in Germany will have to face the terrible alternative of either willing the defeat of our nation in order that Christian civilization may survive, or willing the victory of their nation and thereby destroying civilization. I know which of these alternatives I must choose, but I cannot make the choice from security. So he ends up going back to Germany and getting into a place of, you know, place of fear, difficulty, opposition, persecution. And that's how, you know, his life unpacked. But can you see the battle, the inner turmoil of belonging to a people group, a nation who he loves, but he loves God, and that is his, you know, his key thing. So it was almost like, almost like a, you know, a no-win situation for him. It meant that there was, there was going to be personal sacrifice and difficulty for him. And Bonhoeffer, you know, he lived his life before God. He knew the difference between good and evil, and he discerned, you know, what was going on years before. So in the last book that, that he wrote, there's a little statement in there, and it says this. So heaven is torn open above us humans, and the joyful message of God's salvation in Jesus Christ rings out from heaven to earth as a cry of joy. I believe, and in believing, I receive Christ. I have everything. I live before God There's a a resounding, I live before God. He's really chosen what to do here. And, you know, he he got executed, like, probably about three weeks before the the end of the war, and and Hitler took his own life. And it is, you know, it's a mind-boggling thing to see, but I believe it, it shows, you know, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of the enemy in such a real way. You know, it's really, you know, fleshed out and illustrated for us. And one of these quotes, which is, you know, an interesting one from him as well. If you board the wrong train, it is no use running along the corridor in the other direction, which I thought is quite, you know, a light-hearted way of looking at it, but it's quite true as well. Okay, so let's be those people who are standing firmly on the right side of the fence, being prepared to help those on the wrong side of the fence. I just want to remind us, you know, in this challenging kind of talk and parable, that we want to help as many people as we can know the kingdom of God, know the love and compassion of Christ. We don't want to leave people, you know, dying and, you know, stuck in a life of sin and torment and difficulty as well, all right? So let's be those people who, who have the energy enough and have our lives before God, like, energized enough to, to have the compassion and love for others. Okay, and finally, the last lesson... <clears throat> that I picked out from it is this. It teaches us not to be too quick with our judgments. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up now? Okay, so in this parable then, the reapers were ready to tear out the weeds straight away. They wanted instant, you know, justice, something sorted out straight away. But what would happen if they were to do that? Well, the good wheat would be affected as well in that, you know, um, action of doing it. So what we know is final judgment had to wait until the harvest came. And a person at the end will be judged by their entire life, not by a single act or a season or a particular stage, but their whole lives. Judgment at the, at the end only has got to be the way because that is how God operates. He is fair and just and true. And we know that. 
and we experience that in our lives. And it is like allowing God to do what he does. And us as human beings, you know, we do the limited bits that we can do, okay? So a man might make a great mistake and then redeem himself and by the grace of God live out the rest of his life in God. Or a person could live an honorable life and then collapse into sin later on in their lives. Nobody who sees a part of somebody else's life can judge the whole person. That is God's job. So in like the journey of life, isn't it? There can be those ups and those downs and the times when we're really going great guns for God and times where we totally mess it up and, you know, that is bad and we feel like the worst person on the earth. But we have this amazing God who has loved and forgiven and brought grace into our lives and he looks our lives as a whole and when it comes to being a person who's come to faith, we know that judgment of a, of a sinful life, that's taken care of, you know, our sinful life is taken care of, and that is such a relief, such a good thing uh, to know. And there's some examples in the Bible. King David, as we know, you know, messed up on occasions, but he was a man known to be after God's own heart and a key person in the Old Testament for us to, to learn about, you know, humanity and the love of God in such a real way. The lady, of course, who was caught in adultery, was brought before Jesus, and everyone wanted a stoner and, you know, have a judge there and then. And Jesus, in his wisdom, said, well, those of you who have not sinned, well, you can cast the first stone, go for it. And, of course, people who've lived a long time were the first people to leave because by the time you got a bit older in life, you kind of walked it a bit, and you realize, oh, yeah, we do mess up. And, but the young, fervent ones, they were still at it and were religious, and they wanted a judge there and then. But, of course, the, the penny actually docked it. We're not actually perfect. There are times where we sin. So there was this you know, grace that Jesus brought into the situation. And one that I love is the sinner on the cross who was being crucified with Jesus, who put his faith in Jesus there, and Jesus said, you know, you'll be in paradise with me today. So can you see, like, that is like an instant thing which happened there. So it is God's job to be able to, you know, judge a person's life, and that is who, you know, we, we have to leave it to, to trust in God in that. But along the way, we try and, you know, live out a kingdom principle in our lives and help people in that journey. Okay, and, it, and the last little thing I wanted to talk about there is uh, last week I wrote, uh, I didn't write the book, I read the book. <laughs> Don't read a book, I write the book every week. And the book was called um, To Catch a Thief. And this is a biography about a lad from Llanelli. And the reason why it caught my attention, because it turned out as I was reading through the pages, that this guy lived up the road from me, and I can actually remember him as a youngster being a bit of a pain. I didn't know him very well, but I knew he was bad news at the time there. Okay, so anyway, I wanted to read it, and the issues of like alcohol and drugs and family breakdown and crime and prison, they were all in the mix in his story. And kind of, it helps sometimes to have like a compassionate heart and understand the background of things and understand why people do things. And there is this mixture of evil. And it does, you know, people's lives get screwed up by the, the, um, the efforts of the enemy in their lives, you know? Like brokenness and, you know, lack of encouragement, you know, just challenging people's lives and bringing destruction into people's lives. And it is a horrible thing. And here in this book, you, you read the story of you know, the difficult times, but he comes to a place of faith, this lad, and he gets trained up in ministry and this kind of stuff. And um, you just see the grace of God at work changing someone's life, doing something um, amazing, something different, bringing transformation into their hearts where they've lived a life of like crime and not caring about anyone else and get, being violent and being 
you know, just like thieving from people and just being dishonest. You know, all these different things. But then you see like a transformation and a change in life and it is a beautiful thing to happen. So when we give our like little bits of faith to God, he can do amazing things in our lives. So it's a whole life's journey, not just a snapshot that we look at. Okay, and in Colossians 3, um, Paul reminds people that we now have a new life, that we're made alive in Christ. And we used to walk in a certain way, but now we get rid of things in our lives. And he talks about like anger and rage and, mal- uh, rage and malice and slander and bad language and this kind of stuff. So Paul is highlighting that there is fruit from our lives. When we you know, come to a place of faith, there is a good fruit that we can trust God will develop in our lives. And it is a step-by-step process, step-by-step taking more um, steps of faith in Jesus, trusting him that he can do such amazing things in our lives. So we can trust God is true and fair, and you know, we can leave our lives to him. He is patient. He will wait till the end of time. He will not be hasty in bringing you know, justice and fairness. And God alone, who sees all of a person, all of their life, is the one we can trust in during the course of our lives. So that is kind of the parable of the wheat and the weeds, as best as I can do. Um, please do have a look at it yourself and see if you can do a better job than that. <laughs> and uh, that is it. Let's pray then, and that's it for today. Yes, Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, that in this series of uh, your parables, that you had a story to tell to try and unpack for us, the listeners, the effects of, of life and what goes on in reality. And we have these things to draw on in our lives, Lord, where, you know, we're, we're helped. And we can see, you know, bad things in the world and we can see the good as well. And help us to have compassion and kindness to those, Lord, who may be struggling or, or maybe victims of evil, Lord. And help us, Lord, uh, to, to have that like foresight and love and compassion in our lives. So we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for your goodness. Now, in Jesus' name, amen.